0: The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this four-part podcast series of The Compliance Life, I visit with Ellen Hunt, the Senior Vice President, Audit, Ethics, and Compliance at AARP. Ellen is a lawyer, ethics compliance professional, and chief audit executive. She has extensive management experience in designing, implementing, and operating ethics and compliance programs, including board governance, reporting, designing ethics education, creating policy management frameworks, managing enterprise and compliance risks, as well as handling investigations and regulatory inquiries. Using AARP's Enterprise Risk Management Profile, she redesigned how AARP conducts its annual audit planning to process, to identify audits that relate to the organization's most significant risks and incorporated the use of data analytics into audit execution. Over these four podcasts, we visit about, in episode one, her professional background and how your career can lead you to compliance. In episode two, we look at what do you need to do to get to the role of the chief compliance officer. In episode three, we consider what do you do after you get to the CCO chair. And in episode four, we would conclude with thoughts about moving up from the CCO chair to other corporate positions. It's a fascinating exploration of Ellen's experience in the compliance life. Hello everyone, Tom Fox, back again with Ellen Hunt for our concluding episode. In this episode, we are going to talk about after you become the CCO, not life after CCO, but how do you use all of the skills and talents that you've developed uh, in your next step, in your next stage? And this is something Ellen and I have been talking about and thinking about for a long time. So Ellen, I'm very thrilled to welcome you back and I look forward to uh, visiting with you on this concluding episode. Ellen, um, you and I have both uh, been very vocal and very vehement that the board of directors needs compliance and ethics expertise on the board. Why do you see the logical step for a CCO is to move up to the board of directors role?
1: I think as ethics and compliance continues to mature, And as we look at our current economic um, environment, it's really very clear that organizations that are good at understanding risk, seeing risk ahead of others, and mitigating that risk are the ones who are going to be sustainable and resilient. Uh, And I think without somebody in the boardroom, who is keenly focused on how uh, your actions may impact your stakeholders, could impact your reputation, may have a legal and compliance risk. You're missing a perspective. You know, there's a lot of um, information out there about inclusion and diversity. And I just wanna suggest that inclusion and diversity is much more than just our physical attributes. It's about our minds and experiences and our knowledge. And when you don't have people who bring different perspectives to your board, you're not going to necessarily make the best decisions. And I think somebody who's got an experience background is what's missing on a lot of these boards.
0: I was really intrigued, Ellen, because you started off your answer talking about risk. And one of the, you've had several themes throughout this podcast series, but risk has been one of them. Not compliance and ethics, uh, not ethics, not following the rules, but risk. And on the board, you typically see the strategic management of risk. How do you, or why do you feel that the compliance officer is really uniquely um, qualified to bring expertise to the strategic management of risk?
1: Well. People people represent risk and activities represent risk. And you can't really slice and dice risk into different categories necessarily anymore. Uh, I, I think the ethics and compliance professional is uniquely situated because of the way and the perspective they bring to risk. And that is, is the organization living up to its values? you know whether you've got them on a pretty poster or they're part of your code of conduct if you're not living up to them with your actions and if you don't have a demonstrated track record of doing the right thing then you're not really going to be able to survive or continue to maintain your reputation and your relationship with your stakeholders and I think that's what the ethics and compliance professional brings it's not Well, you can't do that because it's wrong. It's the question of if you do this, how does it show that you're living your values? How does it show that you're doing the right thing based on your values? And how does it really position you with your stakeholders? And and I I think people aren't asking, always asking that question at the board level. Uh, And I I think it needs to be. you know, you pick a scandal. I'm not sure it really matters which one, but I'll I'll pick on Wells Fargo for a minute. How could the board not know? And that means that there was somebody on the board who wasn't asking the right questions or management was successful in hiding it. We can't have that anymore. We just can't. It just, it, it, the American public isn't gonna stand for it and, and your stakeholders and your shareholders aren't gonna stand for it either.
0: Ellen, what questions, if you were on the board, what questions would you pose to a chief compliance officer?
1: Uh, I want to know how are we measuring the culture. I want to know how are we living up to our values, and I want demonstrated, evidenced action towards that. I want to know, and these are some of the metrics that I um, use to report to to my board, as well as I share on our company uh, intranet uh, with all of the employees. I want to know what kind of questions are people asking? I want to know, in comparison to the questions, how many concerns do we have? The more questions, the better, right? Because I want an organization and an environment where people feel safe to ask the question before they take the action. I wanna know how many people identify themselves rather than uh, choose to remain anonymous. I wanna know what those concerns are, what they're about, how many are substantiated, and I wanna know what's being done about them. I also want a metrics that tells me how long does it take. And we know you can't necessarily close every case in 30 days, if there's a case that's been out there for way too long i want to know why right this gets to the theme of organizational justice you can't tell people that they need to come forward and then not do anything about their concerns and your investigations have to be thorough and timely objective and fair
0: ellen one of the other themes you have consistently talked about in this podcast series is relationships as a former CCO on a board with compliance expertise, do you advocate that those relationships continue or does the board take a much more hands-off approach?
1: Yeah, so, you know, this is always that balance between, you know, fingers in and noses out and understanding the oversight role. So the role of the board member is to make sure that management has the resources the information, the support they need to execute on the strategy in the right way. So, so it is appropriate to question. It's not appropriate to come in and try to manage. That's not, it's not your job. Um, but you bring a different perspective and you bring a different experience. And that is something that can be very valuable to management. Um, and uh, in certain, some circumstances, right, if you have a very serious investigation, you actually are coming in and managing because management has demonstrated that maybe they can't or they shouldn't uh, be involved. But um, I think that those relationships absolutely continue. They just shift in their in some of their perspective and what the roles and responsibilities are. But um, you absolutely should have continue to have those 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 relationships.
0: Ellen, um, it sounds like diversity is also a critical component of a board, uh, simply to have a different perspective, but also to have that's that subject matter expertise. Would that be fair as well?
1: Absolutely, and and I think that you know. Um, Um, Comment I made in one of the earlier podcasts is ethics and compliance people love to be with ethics and compliance people because we're comfortable. We're very comfortable with one another, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that unless that's the only thing you're doing. We have to be with people who think differently, who have different experiences, who bring us different facts and different perspectives on things because otherwise, we really aren't getting the whole picture and you can't be really making a a valid and good uh, decision without knowing how other people might feel or react or uh, interpret uh, what you're doing. So um, the more diverse and the more inclusive you can be, the better your decisions.
0: Well, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. This has been a fascinating series, and I greatly appreciate you taking the time uh, to do this series with me. And if any board member is listening and you need compliance expertise on the board, contact Ellen Hunt. <laughs> thank you, so
1: This
0: is Tom Fox. I would like to thank you for listening to this final episode in my four-part series on compliance life you have enjoyed this series, and also hope that you will go to iTunes and rate our podcast.